So I just want to ask the question, you know, why are we here? Why did we come? Why did you come to church? For me, the reason why I come and the reason why we started here is because we want to see God moving even more than we already do in our community, yeah? We want to see what God has for our whole law here, right out this, the north, the south, the east, the west. We want to see God at work. And today we're going to um, talk about something that I think is one of the big inhibitors to God moving. It's not that we don't have enough information. It's not that we don't have awesome worship. It's not that we haven't um, listened to loads of preachers and all sorts of things. But I think it's because many times the enemy does his very best and he succeeds in kind of crippling us a bit with fear. Okay, so this message today is about developing fearless faith. Why are we here? We're here to build a church that's going to do transformation, to transform our lives and our region. And that works through faith, and faith works when we manage to push through fear. So why talk about faith? In the... Um, we. It's going to be a bit of a job keeping up with me, isn't it? But anyway, why talk about faith, uh, fear? If we think about the parable of the talents, there was one chap that was given five talents, wasn't he? And he went and made five more. And he said, great, you know, I can do that. I can get five and I can make five more. Another one got one and he made one more. Both of those, God said, great, you're my faithful servants, this is fantastic. But I think for all of us, we were, we're all given talents. You know, we tend to think of, they, they were given money, and we translate it to mean gifts and abilities. Now, whether it's resources or gifts and abilities or contacts or whatever it is, we've all been given plenty. But some of us land up feeling like this bloke here, and we dig a hole and we hide it. Yeah? Instead of actually thinking, oh my goodness, how can I do more with what I've been given? We do what this fellow did. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you, where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Interesting, it was his talent. He gave it to the bloke. He wasn't supposed to dig a hole and leave it in. The master said, well, you could have at least put it in the bank and it would have got some interest. Yeah? Interesting. How did he get to be afraid in the first place? He got to be afraid because he thought the wrong thing about the master. He thought that the master was a baddie. And so he was afraid of him. And so with that fear, he then went and hid how many of us are in situations sometimes where we feel like those in control of us or over us or this, the environment that we're in or, my goodness, the globe is against us. And then, therefore, we hide. You know, we hide our bushel under a light. We hide ourselves. Gideon was a fantastic man of mighty valor who was a, did awesome things for God but he was hiding when God found him. He was hiding in a wine press. What was he doing in a wine press? It's not supposed to be hiding, but he was hiding. Okay? 
So we're going to pray this morning because this is what we're about. Um, you know, fear can be good. It can stop us doing bad stuff. Fear can um, be bad, though, when it cripples us and, and kind of turns us in, yeah? Amen to that. All right. So, Father, we pray this morning that our story that we're going to examine will help us to break through fear that may have been a part of our lives for a long time. So, Father, we pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we thank you that you are here by your Holy Spirit because you want us to step out of this situation now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at a story of the Canaanite woman. And um, the Canaanite woman lived in a district called Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you look at the map behind me, the green part on the map is, I think it's green, yep, the green part is kind of the area where Jesus normally was. If you like, that's the, the in place to be. It's the place where you would normally see Jesus walking around doing cool things. But the place up on the edge, on the north there, right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, the red dots are Tyre and Sidon. Now, it actually got a little bit heated for Jesus in his normal place. The Pharisees were beginning to really pressure him. And so he went for a walk all the way up to Tyre and Sidon, the place where nothing much normally happened, the place on the fringes. Now, I come from up here, as you've heard me say a million times, and so I'm passionate about this place. I'm passionate about Te Hapua. I'm passionate about Pangaru. I'm passionate about Mangamuka. I'm passionate about Hihi. I'm passionate about all these regions that are not necessarily places where you would think that it's the happening place. Yeah? It's not necessarily the place where big things happen. And especially when I was growing up, I became a Christian, a committed Christian when I was in Auckland, and I found it was really difficult coming home to Pukanui to kind of believe God in that context. It was kind of like, oh, well, I understood Jesus in university where I was surrounded by awesome people. I understood Jesus when I was in a church in Auckland, but it was hard for me to bring Jesus into my home all the way up here in Pukanui. I couldn't see him quite so well. Pukanui is a mighty different place now, I can tell you. All right, so it's been, it's sort of my life mission, if you like, to see Jesus come and be evident in all these places around us. It's why we're here. Now, um, then Jesus went out from there, out from where the green zone, and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out, came from that region, and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, this Canaanite woman wasn't in a place where God normally was, and she wasn't of the race that Jesus was sent to initially. So not only is she in a remote place, but she's kind of an outsider. But she was really moved because her daughter was severely demon-possessed. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a daughter that had real hassles. We did when our little, our girl was a baby, oh, about, I think she's probably about two, and she used to get the night horrors. And oh my goodness, 
we sometimes thought she was demon-possessed because she would scream and kick and holler. It was so difficult to deal with until we worked out, you take her to the loo, she wakes up, give her a cuddle, put her back to bed. That was easy, but it wasn't easy working it out. Okay, so, you know, it's, it's quite, a, this woman had a desperation there, and so she cried out. So I want to challenge us. In our spaces, let's develop a desperation and let's cry out. Now, if you don't have a sense of desperation for yourself, put up your head and look around because there's plenty of desperate people around you. And, yeah, maybe be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a cool job. He was a wine taster. He sat beside the king. But he heard about his relatives that were miles away that were in real dire straits. And so he said to the king, can I go? I want to go and help those guys. They're my rallies and they're in trouble. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's the sort of stirring I, I want us to do. And I just want to dwell here for a little minute and just give you a little testimony. Years ago, about 20 years ago, or maybe even more, I was fully involved in church in Kaitaia. We were building the school. We were building the church. I didn't really have much to do with our farm where we now live. But my mum used to ring me up and tell me what was going on. And she kept telling me about how... Um, because we'd leased out a lot of the farm for forestry, we'd run out of grass. And so my parents used to lease land sort of between the main road and 90 Mile Beach, you know, all that kind of behind Waihārata, all those places. So we had leases. But the problem is that was an easy place for people to get and poach cattle. And so a couple of times, Dad would be on his horse going to round up the cattle, and he'd come across people who'd just killed one of our cattle. And people who were doing that weren't exactly on the right side of the law. And to get a, a big cow or steer or something dead, you either have knives or guns. It's not exactly safe. And so this happened several times, and I was afraid for my dad. Now, at that stage of my life, I had a bit of a boxed view of what God was about, God was about church and school. Was he really about our farm? But like this lady, I got desperate enough. One day I was cooking. I remember it very clearly. I was cooking away and I thought, hey, God, I wonder if you could sort out something about this farm. Actually, wouldn't it be cool if we had no more jolly pine trees and we had grass? So I prayed and I said, Lord, would you please sort out the fact that we've got a 99-year lease on our farm for pine trees could you sort that out so that we actually get more grass? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Amen. Now, to my amazement, a few weeks later, my mum rang again, and she said, guess what? The guys that are... Because I never told her I prayed. I never even mentioned the thought of get rid of pine trees to her. She rang up and said, guess what? We've had a phone call, and the people who lease the land for the trees want to break the lease. They don't want to do another lot of pine trees. And guess what? We've negotiated with them that when they cut the pine trees down, they've got to restore the soil and they've got to plant grass and that's going to involve getting a road in and fences, so we're going to have some more grass. I said to my mum, wow. I said, well, guess what? I prayed that. There's silence on the end of the phone. My mum wasn't going to church. She did believe, but certainly not you know, in the circles I was in, you know, the in club. And she said, is he really interested in that? 
I said, well, I reckon. He answered the prayer, didn't he? <laughs> so it's a pretty cool testimony, isn't it? It's one I remember often now that I'm in that, live in that space, I live on the farm, I think God is actually interested in this. And so I'm pausing and telling a story because I want you to think, what's an area of your life that you haven't actually thought about inviting God to or it looks really hard? Could be that you're really cool at youth, like I was really cool at youth, but at home it's a struggle. You know, for many young people, like at, at times for me, it was easy in church settings, but go home, oh gosh, you know, what about that argument? Uh, what about this struggle? Oh, my parents are worried about this or that. What about if you're a grandparent and you see your grandchildren getting into stuff you don't want? You know, these are struggle areas, and I really want to encourage you that, um, you know, this Canaanite woman is a picture of somebody who was on the outer who really pushed in. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. Thanks, Ralph. You know what happened, though? She cried out to Jesus, and he answered her, not a word. Oh, how about that? And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, because she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I wasn't sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So look, she was even outside God's criteria. She didn't meet the brief, yeah? How about that? But do you know what she did? Her response, the next slide, is she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. So here's a lesson, hey? You might already have thought, yeah, but I've already prayed about that area. Yeah, I've already tried, and nothing's happened. But guess what? This Canaanite woman shows us, don't be deterred, keep at it. Keep at it. You know, she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me, before she heard an answer from Jesus, before the disciples accepted her, and before she saw any change whatsoever in her circumstances. That's a really cool challenge to us, isn't it? So I really encourage you, you know, really in the situations that make you scared, that get inside you, that cripple you, push through. Now, I can stand here looking hale and hearty, but I've had plenty of those. I, I understand fear. It can get inside you. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So she worshipped God, but his first answer was, he answered and said, it's not good to give the food that's for the children to the dogs. Now, that's another put off, isn't it? Imagine Jesus saying that to somebody. I thought Jesus was a nice guy. Doesn't sound it here, doesn't he? He's saying, yeah, it's not good to give the, the bread to the dogs. But she had a different take on this. Her response was, she said, yes, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. How cool is this woman? How cool is she? She was not put off by Jesus even, or the disciples, or her circumstances. She said, yeah, but I tell you what, even the crumbs will do. Now, remember she lives on the outer skirts. Remember she's not one of the in crowd. Remember she's somebody who's heard kind of from a distance that she's got amazing faith, right? I want 
too, next slide, thanks, Ralph. I want to camp a little bit around this picture of the dog and give you a different perspective of the dogs. In the situation of the dogs, have we got, yeah. Now, this isn't my dad, but this could well be my dad. So this is a very familiar picture to me, a man on a horse with a whole load of dogs, okay? Now, those dogs would hang on that guy's every word. If he, in my dad's case, pointed his pipe, they would tear in his direction. If he did one little whistle, they would stop. If he did a different kind of whistle, they'd go that way. If he did a different kind of whistle, they'd go that way. They would run and do exactly what he wanted. But he wasn't, he didn't pet them. He grumped and growled at them. What do you think you're doing, you know, so-and-so, you know, get in here. And I didn't often hear him swear. I heard some other people swear. But, you know, these are work dogs. They love to work, but they're dogs, Right? Now, what happens when you stop for lunch and you get off your horse and you're going to have your lunch? Those dogs think that it's their job to eat your lunch. I've been there lots of times, okay? It's smoko time. You hop off your horse, you get out your, your lunch, and the dogs all look at you thinking it's time for lunch too. Now, they get told very well, go and sit down. And they do, because they're good work dogs, but do they just look around? No, they watch your every bite. They stare at you. If you said a cat that to a cat, a cat would get a huff and go off. If you said it to a horse, they'd say, forget it, I want the grass anyway, and off they'd go. But you say it to a dog, and the dog sits there and looks at you. So my next slide is a picture of a dad, my dad with one of his dogs. This is... <laughs> Now, doesn't that remind you of the picture of the Canaanite looking at Jesus? Do you see, this is her picture of what a dog and a crumb is going to look like. Now, my daughter found this photo of me for me last night, and it's taken on a day that mum and dad were obviously farming. This is right around the back of Mount Camelau Farm. And, you know, there's big hills where the dogs would have been tearing around after cattle, I think, at that stage of the game. And now they're paused for lunch. Dad's sitting on his rock, and Mum's gone off to get the lunch off the saddlebag, and she's taking the photo on the way back. This is probably the top dog. There was always a top dog and others that were learning. So the top dog thinks he's the top dog, and he's coming over to chat to Dad. He's probably thinking, I wonder if I'm going to get any lunch today. But I tell you what, Mum wouldn't have made him lunch. All right? He gets fed at night, and look at him, he's shiny as, he's absolutely fine, he's a great looking dog, he's probably the best top dog. But do you see the look of devotion there? You know, Dad didn't pet those dogs by any stretch of the imagination, but this dog is hanging on, looking at Dad, and he's like that Canaanite woman, he says, it's okay Jesus, I'll have the crumbs. And that's exactly what used to happen. As you moved off, when you'd finished your lunch, the dogs would be off their chuff and in, seeing if they could find some crumbs, yeah? And in this case, with Jesus, when Jesus said to this lady, hey, go away, and she said, but even the dogs get the crumbs, she was expressing something of trust and love, like that picture of my dad with the dog, see? So how good is that picture for us, even when it seems like we're not getting any answers, 
even when it seems like we've prayed over this thing over and over again, even when it seems like it's the biggest problem that's hit us and it's remained a big problem, it's a good idea to remember this picture of the dog or the picture of the, of the woman. Okay, let's go on and see what happened next. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as your desire. And her daughter was healed from that very point. So isn't that cool that a woman from a remote area, a woman who had a desperate situation, a woman that had been put off by the disciples, that had even been put off by Jesus, was able to come and move his heart. And she had, she was told, you've got great faith. So I just want to pause for you, for us all for the moment, and just let us think. Again, is there one of those situations where we want to see God move? Is there? There is, isn't there? There is. So as we move on, I just want to um, give us a few little sort of practical hints. That's the story. Um, and now I've got a slide that's got a few points there. Let, I want us to sort of work through it and see if we can work out how to apply what we've learned. I think the first thing is that we do actually have to get ourselves thinking and actually step up. Okay? See if you can think about an area where you could step up even when it's been difficult. I'll give an example. Um, just this last week, Alan's been talking about a chap that rented a part of our house in Ahipara years ago, and he, he became our friend, really, and he's American and he lives north of us, and Alan kept saying, I keep thinking about Nathaniel. It'd be great to see more of Nathaniel, and I'm thinking... I'm busy, when are we going to do that, you know? And then one day I thought, oh, get over yourself. So I said to him, why don't you invite Nathaniel and his wife for dinner? So we did, Alan did, and he came on Friday night. And I rushed home from school and put on a pot of soup and cooked far too much. And, you know, me, I was kind of like a little bit ditzy. But we had a great time, and it turned out, you know, it was a, it was a very special time. Now, he's not saved yet. But his parents are in ministry. We're kind of getting to know him. He comes from America. He's in locked, got people in lockdown. I've now got a window of idea of what it's like to be a person from New York. They've got friends who have been in small apartments for four months. Desperate, desperate times. You know, we can pray for him. The next thing we can do is we can cry out. We can cry out for ourselves. We can cry out for others. We can cry out and see if we can move the hand of God in our situations and in other people's situations. We can worship. We can see if we can fix our eyes on God and worship and lead him into our spaces. We can push through. It's exactly what the Canaanite woman did, isn't it? She pushed through. 
I want to dwell a little bit now on the listen up one, because this is where I think something that was spoken um, a few weeks ago, Paul preached it. I, I was really thinking about it after I heard him, I, I watched the video and heard him preach it. He was talking about um, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I was thinking about how amazing that idea is and how applicable it is to us when we're in these situations where we've got to press through. Now, I'm just, again, going to give a bit of a personal testimony. I told you that fear has been my thing that's been a part of me often for quite a few years. I had a situation that um, used to recur for me. Now, I would think I was over it, and then it would bounce back at me again. It would happen. Another year would go by, and here I am dealing with the same fear. And it was last year, I think, early in the year, that it happened again, the same fear. It grips me. Now, you young people might not think that older people fear, but we do. So you probably fear, oh my goodness, I haven't done my homework, is she going to be grumpy? Well, yes, maybe, maybe not. Um, you might think, oh gosh, you know, will I ever get any credits? Um, yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> you might think, um, will they just not notice? Uh, no, they don't. But we, as teachers, we get to fear, oh my goodness, if they don't do anything and then they don't get the credits, we get it. Yeah? So it's, it's this whole fear channel. And the, news, and the school governance says if the teachers don't do it and the kids don't do it and then they don't succeed, we get it. And the New Zealand government says if our schools don't do it and they're the train, we get it. So we're all part of this big washing line of turbo of, oh my goodness, are we all going to perform? Now, that's in a school setting that we know. I teach loads of these guys. But, hey, it's the same in any business setting, isn't it? Yeah? Is the, is the grass going to grow? Can I keep my cows being milked long enough? Is there going to be a fencing contract? We heard from the Pritchards the other day. Um, we're running low on food here. Is the fishing any good? No, the weather's terrible. Um, Oh my goodness, I thought those, that crop was going to grow. No, it's failed. You know, there's, there's fears and pressures in every concept, context, isn't there? Now, I want to tell you, going back to what happened to me at the beginning of last year, the same old fear gripped me, and I was like, oh, not again. I thought I'd defended myself pretty well last time. Bother. And we were here for a meeting, something or another, and Margaret Nukunuka was there. And I said... Margaret, can you just pray for me, please? And she said, yeah. If you've ever got a hassle and you want somebody to pray, grab Margaret. She's amazing. Yeah, so, so are lots of others, but Margaret's awesome. So Margaret gets hold of me, gives me a big hug, as she does, and then she starts to pray, and she says, hey, I see you as an overcomer in this situation. Now, that was a good prayer because it got my head up from, I thought I defended myself well, to a position of attack. Now, now we're talking about fearless faith, which is what this message is about. We're getting out beyond fear to getting a bit of, hey, we're going to see some results here. Whoa. So it didn't get any easier. There was still 
push through fear, things I had to do, things I had to do, things I had to do. But all the time I had that glimmer of, I'm supposed to be, and I believe I'm going to be an overcomer in this situation. And do you know by the end of the year I was? And do you know that that fear has now actually gone? Praise God for that. And I tell you what, it was something that that hassled me for months, years. Yeah. Now, as I was thinking about this, a picture came in my mind, and I think I've got time to tell this picture. I was going to try a video, but it was hard to get it going. But who's heard of Christian Cullen? Anybody? The right generation? Yep. Christian Cullen ran onto the rugby field with the number what on his back? Anybody know? 15, right. So a 15 is, in general parlance, the full back. So you'd think of him as a defender. Now, I've watched rugby loads of times in my life, and certainly in the older days, a full back was the guy that, if somebody else was steaming down to get a try, close to his try line, he was expected to tackle that guy, grab the ball, and he'd usually boot it way up the field, and everybody else would turn around and trundle back up. Not Christian Cullen. Christian Cullen would get hold of that ball, all right, but he ran it. And oh my goodness, did he ever run it? He was a, a sevens player. He played with Tana Umanga and Jonah Lomu and others, Len Osborn, that were awesome runners. And so with his 15 on his back, faith is about a shield, but he did not think of just, I'm defending my line. He thought, how do I get a try? Now, that's the kind of fearless faith we want. It was written in his psyche. I'm going to get a try, and he did. There was one um, little clip I was watching, but it was a bit too brief to show, that shows him about this far from his line, grabbing the ball, and he got a try all the way up the other end of the paddock. Now, that was an awful lot of dodging, an awful lot of sidestepping and bumping off people. He wasn't big, so he could dodge pretty well. But, I don't think he was big, he doesn't look big, but to do that, you've got to have the right mentality, yeah? You've got to have the mentality that you're not just hiding in fear, that you're not just uh, getting over fear, but like Margaret prayed for me, Sue, you're going to be an overcomer. Oh, that's a, good, that's a better way of thinking about it. Yay, let's go, Yeah? Now, think about it. We often talk, and Tark often talks about breakthrough moments. Now, lots of you guys, I know, play basketball or netball. Who's, when are you attacking? Are you attacking when you've not got the ball or when you've got the ball? Right. You're attacking when you've got the ball. Now, the thing is, getting the ball is a momentary thing, isn't it? If you've... The other team's got the ball, got the ball, got the ball, got the ball, and you get an intercept. Hey, I've got the ball. I'm on attack. It's a momentary thing, isn't it? I think it's quite a cool thing to think about when we ask people to pray, come up here. You know, the time I asked Margaret to pray for me, it was a momentary thing. Sometimes moments make a huge difference. It was a moment when I was cooking, and I thought, I wonder if I could pray that we'd sort out the grass trees thing on our farm. That was a momentary thing. But the long-term effect of that is huge. We have loads of grass now on that farm. Loads of 
tree stumps to get rid of, but loads of grass. Yeah? Jesus had that moment with that Canaanite lady, and her daughter that she was so worried about was healed. It was a momentary thing. So, much as I'm long on perseverance, if you know me, very long on perseverance, momentary moments of faith can transform people. And so, you know, when it comes to inviting people to Alpha, when it comes to, you know, cooking and inviting somebody, and so, you know, you never know when that momentary meeting, that momentary in, sort of interception will be the one that transforms. Yeah? So, listen up. There might be a moment that God wants to speak something to you. And as we believe, as we just merely believe, as we, I believed Margaret when she said that, because I've had, I've prayed with her loads of times, and I know I can trust her. She wouldn't have just said that if God hadn't said that to her, yeah? I believed that I was going to be an overcomer. God showed me the opportunity, and I did it. Awesome. I just want to leave you with one more thing here. Just as we close, I'd just like to um, give you an opportunity just to close your eyes and to think about one of those areas where you would really like to see change. What's an area that you would really like to see change in? And we're going to pray about that together, and then I'll hand over to Pastor Paul. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Lord, I just want to pray as I close that, Lord, whatever area it might be that we've struggled in for a long time or somebody else has struggled in for a long time, you would help us to hear you and to get faith and to see that changed. We commit ourselves towards this now in Jesus' name. Amen.